I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche It's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Just by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science Then let them and talk up their body Another one body, that's just how it go I got some secrets, I'm shaking the Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am not your host, PTF I actually saw him uh, at the Grammys He was performing with... Uh, with Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson. I think that was him. Or maybe that was Chris Stapleton. They both look like the beard threw me off and the silky tones of their voices were just so similar. Uh, I'm Jonathan Kinchin, and this is the, oh my gosh, I don't even remember now, 29, 30, 30, 30, 30th episode? The second one of the, the kind of the resurgence, but the second episode of JK Plus One, and uh, we're excited. We want to start by thanking our friends at Qatar Racing. This wouldn't be possible without them and their partnership uh, with the podcast. Qatar Racing has over 100 horses in training, um, tons of mares, foals, four top-class stallions, and they are expanding um, their their foothold in American racing. Uh, I'm still mad that, uh, that I didn't use Caravelle in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, I've been betting Caravelle basically since she was with uh, her original trainer, I, I was betting her. And now all of a sudden I decided not to bet her and she won. Sorry for the aside, but uh, thanks to our friends at Qatar Racing. Uh, nothing much. I, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump into to our, to our discussion that we had today, but I do want to remind everyone, um, make sure you're sharing, liking, retweeting, uh, help us kind of get the, the momentum rolling again. We're really uh, happy with, with the numbers. We didn't really lose any steps from when we, uh, when we first started. So we appreciate that. Um, you can remember, you can get this from the, the kind of the, the overall feed of in the money, the, the black logo, you can the in the money media podcast page, but JK plus one also has its own um, podcast feed. So make sure that you, you know, what the heck subscribe to both of those and, and then also, because we're going to be doing some of these with video, we decided to keep it consistent, and we are putting them on YouTube as well. So they're on YouTube uh, with just the audio only. So if you want to consume them that way, if that works for you, if you're hiding from your boss at work or whatever, and, and you want to just pop it up on your computer screen because that, you know, I don't know, that doesn't really make any sense. You could probably just do it on your phone too, but uh, I'm just rambling. Um, what else? I think that's it. We'll just get to our guest, uh, a good friend of mine that I met on a blind date, basically, which you'll find out more about that in a second. Jacob West. Jacob West, what's going on? Not much, man. Not much. Happy to be on, and I appreciate you uh, extending the invite. Well, yeah, I thought about it um, when I, you know, I had you on my list to have forever. I'll, I'll tell the story how we met eventually. It's kind of funny, but I, I, I had always kind of had an idea of having you on even in 2020 when I was doing the show a lot. And then I just took a break. And so you were on my list and I, and, and seeing at the eclipse awards, um, I, I saw you on stage a lot and I thought to myself, that's a, that's a pretty darn good year that my man had. Um, how was it? I, I would imagine that you don't plan when you buy a horse for someone that you're going to end up on that stage. Like, I'm sure that's the dream, but uh, how was it to go up there a few times? You know, it was, it's, incredibly 
exciting. It's gratifying. It's fulfilling. It's, you know, it's everything, you know, whatever adjective accolade, whatever you want to give it. Um, it's, you know, because like the way I view a lot of what we do in this business is, you know, as agents, we're spending other people's money. Right. And those, those people, like, I don't care what anybody says, they work hard for their money. You know, nobody's really just given a lot of stuff in life. Um, so, you know, when they choose to get into our industry and to get into our game um, and you can be a part of buying something like a nest or a forte uh, and then them getting the gratification of, of, and the recognition really of, of going on to that stage and accepting that trophy uh it's it's really cool to be a part of, and I I, I like thoroughly enjoy it. Um, being down there with the whole Rapoli team and 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 family is just a trip in and of itself. Uh, and then you know with with Aaron and Brian from Eclipse, um, you know having worked with them and still working with them, you know um, it's just extremely gratifying and 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 very cool. Agents are a little bit, you know, kind of behind the scenes. There's some higher profile agents. I would consider you to be one of those that, that is a little bit more in the forefront because of your clients and some of the horses you bought. If I was, if I was on an elevator with you and I said, Hey, hey man, I, I like horse racing. And you were like, Oh, I'm in the game. I'm an agent. I would then ask you, Oh, which horses are you involved with? Which, which kind of your elevator pitch when you're telling people of some of the, the good ones you've bought for those that might not know. You know, it's, 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 I, I, there's been quite a few, um, and I'm lucky and I'm blessed to be a part of, of of a lot of really good horses, but you know, the first flagship horse that I tell a lot of people about was Magna Moon. Um, he was my first grade one winner that I purchased, uh, for Mr. And Mrs. Lowe, you know, horse that was undefeated going into the Kentucky Derby, uh, highest point earner of, you know, like heading into that year justifies year, um, you know, broke his maiden, won that allowance, won the Rebel, won the Arkansas Derby, and, you know, ran in the Kentucky Derby, but he was the number one. Um, and then we go on from there, you know, Ness, Forte, uh, My Prankster, Spice is Nice. Um, trying to think of really what else. Um, Don't forget the big, the big gray horse that had the... Yeah, Colonel, Colonel Liam, Jesus, yeah, Wit, um, you know, it, it, I've been blessed, man, I've been lucky. Um, but, like, I... I when the people ask me that I explained to them, you know, like Magna moon was, was like the first one. And I really talk about him because he had such an incredible story. Uh, a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't really know about behind the scenes, you know, um, that happened to him. And, and I tell them about that. And I'm very, very proud of that horse and what all he was able to achieve. You can't tease us. You gotta tell us, you gotta tell us the Magna moon story too. Man, he's, like we were, we talked about being on this podcast for a little while. I think I'd have to be on here for five hours to give you the full story with him. But the bottom line is this, like he, he was owned by incredible owners, Robert and Luana Lowe of Springfield, Missouri. And he, he, we bought him as a yearling. Um, we had him up in Saratoga. He was up there as a two-year-old. He was a May foal. Um, and he showed a ton of ability, a ton of talent and, he was breezing up there and he just came up with just like some roundness in an ankle, nothing that was, you know, x-rays and scans and all that stuff. Nothing showed anything. And basically Todd said, look, I think this is a really, really nice horse. I don't want to just keep pressing on with him and going on with him. So let's, let's do right by the horse and send him, you know, back to my dad's and cool him out and bring him back and at his own pace. And 
that's what we did. And, and Mr. and Mrs. Lowe are just incredibly patient owners. They've been in the game for a long time. They understand the ups and downs. I mean, they didn't really, they weren't ready for what ended up happening with him. But once Todd got him back down at Palm Beach Downs, I mean, he just started breezing and just set himself apart. But that same year, you know, Vino Rosso was in that crop. Audible was in that crop. Um, there was like some really heavy hitters uh, for Todd. And we were, you know, we were one of the heavy hitters, you know. And uh, so when he started coming around, Todd, like really, if you speak Todd Pletcher language, you know, like when he's high on a horse um, and he was giving us every indication that that's what it was going to be. The horse goes out first time out as a three-year-old. We had to wait. I think it was like 11 days after, you know, January 1st type thing. So he turned three and he made his start and he had an incredible going away fashion, made in special weight race and did it very, very well. Um, and then Todd was very conservative with his next start, goes to Tampa, wins very impressively, gets named a TDN rising star. He was like a 10th off the track record. And Luis Saez rode him that day, left Tampa to go or left Gulfstream to go up to Tampa to ride him because he wanted to stay with the horse. And if he would have just pushed the button on him, he would have set a track record. Um, he was literally a tenth off of it in an allowance and a one X there. He comes out of that. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lowe are longtime supporters of Oaklawn Park. They love racing at Oaklawn. Um, so Todd just said, look, let's point to the rebel. And uh, that's what we did. So he goes into the Rebel. I think he was second choice behind Solomini uh, there. Um, wins the Rebel in his third start at their home track, you know, a race that they've dreamed of winning. Um, comes back to Florida, puts in a couple more breezes. We go right back to Oakland for the Arkansas Derby. Goes off as the favorite in the race that they've wanted to win their entire lives. He wins that race. Um, and does it in impressive fashion, you know, solidifies himself with, with a grade one win and, you know, sets the bar, you know, so to speak, uh, undefeated going into the Kentucky Derby as a leading point earner. And then the Derby that year was a rainy mess and just everything out of it was, uh, was crazy. Justify was obviously in that crop audible, um, I'm blanking on a couple of the other really good horses in there, but it was a solid, solid Derby. Good magic. Good magic. There you go. Uh, Mendelssohn was in there. Uh, just, you know, we ended up finishing 19th that year in the Kentucky Derby, which was just, I mean, words can't describe what that experience is like. Uh, I Like, you know, watching that race and being a part of that, hearing the, you know, my old Kentucky home, the crowd singing, you know, going into the paddock and the walkover the lead up to the Derby, you know, the days, those mornings lead up to the Derby, you know, everybody there watching the horses train. I remember there was one day he was like coming around. It was like on Tuesday before the Derby, he was coming around like the clubhouse bend turn in his training. And there was a line of cameras. Like there was like 200 photographers there, I swear. And like that, that clicking noise of, of when he was coming around that turn, it, it was just truly amazing. Um, and that's part of it, you know what I mean? The, 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 the hype and the buildup of everything. Um, and we go into that. We run 19th in the Kentucky Derby. Um, and it was like the biggest like highs of the highs. And then, you you know, if I'm being honest, it was a little bit of a letdown because 
you know, you've run 19th out of 20, but you're so appreciative of even just being a part of it. Um, we send him to New York right after that to kind of just slow down on him um, and let him catch his breath. I mean, he had a tough campaign from January to May for, you know, races. And while he was up there, Todd was getting him ready. And I can't, I'm, the, the name of the race is blanking on me, um, but it was like a one-turn mile, maybe mile and the 16th or something like that at Belmont. He was getting ready for that. And unfortunately he had a, he had a, you know, a, he broke down in, in training. Um, and like, that's really, I gave you that whole backstory because quite frankly, that's when the story like really starts with this horse because, you know, Todd and his crew were quick to act right after such an important, you know, unfortunate thing happened. And they were able to just quickly get him on a van and get him across the street to the Cornell um, vet clinic. And when they got him there, you know, Todd calls me immediately, fills me in on what's going on. You know, I call Mr. and Mrs. Lowe and I fill them in on what's going on. And it's like such a shock, like when something like that happens, um, you don't really know how to act. You don't really know what to do, what to say. You know, you just got to report the facts and then start praying. And he had suffered a significant injury to his both of his sesamoids. Uh, and then he ended up like basically what what ended up happening was they said you know can we save him yes we can and then it's like then the 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 real kind of the heavy lifting starts right after that um and so he went in for surgery immediately came out of it very very well um he was put together you know by uh, an incredible team at 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 cornell um that literally looked after him like their own um and he was his, his journey of, of trying to kind of like get back together uh, starts there. So he was looked after after by a doctor named Dr. John Piggott. Um, and Dr. Piggott was sending me like those first couple of weeks were like really scary. You know, like, is he going to make it? Is he not? You know, how does the blood flow work, et cetera, et cetera. You learn so much in those kind of like trying things. But Mr. and Mrs. Lowe, the way they handled that whole that whole scenario was just unbelievable. It was a true testament to like how they are, because I really do think if it's anybody else, they immediately just pull the plug up. Oh, don't give them a chance. You know, like, let's get out of here. Um, they made sure that the horse was comfortable. And I, I would never forget distinctly having a conversation with Mrs. Lowe. And she said to me, Jacob. If that horse is ever uncomfortable, then we we will not proceed on. But as long as he's showing a will to live, then we'll do everything we can necessary to, to give him that fighting chance. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, I can get into like the specifics of the money that was spent in order to keep him alive and, and the and the things that they did to try to help him with that. But, you know, that's not really what it's all about. It was that he had some owners that were willing to do whatever it took as long as he had the will to live. And eventually it just caught up to him that he, you know, the blood flow and the severity of, of the injury didn't allow for like long, like long term, like blood flow to get there. And he just essentially was not growing a hoof. Um, and that, that he was going to live a life of uncomfort, like going forward. And that was like 
JK, that was literally like a year. And I want to say like a couple of months after the surgery, uh, the initial breakdown. And so like they, they did everything they could. But when, when Dr. Pickett kind of told us what was really going on, it was, it was the unfortunate thing uh, that we had to make the decision to, to, you know, humanely euthanize him and put him down. And that's what we did. Uh, and there was a lot of emotion associated with that because, you know, it was a long road with that horse and the ups and downs and the highs and lows that, that came along with it. You know, he meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, you know, his breeder, Ramona Bass, like followed him along like she, you know, still owned him herself. Um, like I said, Mr. and Mrs. Lowe winning the race, the Arkansas Derby and the, and the Rebel at their home track that they'd been going to for 40 years you know, meant a lot to them. He meant a lot to me because, you know, he was my first grade one winner. He really, you know, was the one that showed the world that I knew what I was, I felt like I knew what I was doing when I was shopping these sales and, you know, uh, the, the trust and the, and the support that the Lowe's had for me to let me go do that for him, you know, is, uh, is why he's the most special horse to me and probably will be, you know, uh, the rest of my life. You know, you mentioned how important he was to you. Um, and I think that that's a good transition, especially kind of telling the story about um, the compassion and the, uh, that, that the, that the lows treated that situation. Uh, the lows probably mean a lot to you too. I would imagine giving you this chance and, and, and being a part of that journey with him and, and you know, and Colonel Liam and, and Spice is Nice and, and a handful of others. How did you meet the lows and, and how did that relationship come about? So it's, it's, a, it's a really funny story, but you're exactly right. I mean, first off, their family, I mean, they, I mean, they are, they mean the world to me. Um, they, they're just such genuine people, uh, incredible people. Um, so nice, so caring, so giving, you know, so understanding. Um, they let me do my job and, and, and that means a lot. Like, you know, they, they trust in me and, and what, what our program is, but, it's a little bit of hard-headedness, uh, a little bit of um, kind of some uh, wanting to be, I was extremely motivated to just climb the ladder of the thoroughbred industry and, and, and set, my, set my sights on being a bloodstock agent. Um, and basically, so I worked at, my initial start was at TaylorMade Farm, and the Lowe's were a client of TaylorMade Farm on the selling side. But I really knew that their passion was laid within um, racing. And, you know, people don't realize like how long they had really been involved in the game and, and the amount of money that they had spent. Um, and they're very loyal people and very dedicated to, you know, the game with who, who they've come into it with, with uh, a trainer named Danny Pites and they had an agent named Tom McCrocklin. Um, and so, they had been involved in the game, spent plenty of money over the years and had relatively good success. But, you know, like, I feel like, you know, we've been able to adjust on some things and, and improve some things since then. But when I was at TaylorMade, we were known as, you know, which they still are. They're the best in the world at selling horse flesh. There's nobody better than them. I mean, that whole system and the farm and the brothers and everything, that, that was what they did. They, they sold horses for other people. Uh, they provided a service to, for them and the Lowe's did that a little bit you know they saw they would sell they go out every year to Springfield to to their farm and go through the yearlings and uh 
we would pick out the best ones and sell them and, and go on from there. But quite frankly, and I'm not speaking out of school here, you know, the, 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 you know, financial status of Mr. And Mrs. Lowe selling horses didn't get them excited. Um, you know, like quite frankly speaking, they didn't, they did not care. And I kept saying to Mark Taylor, I think we're utilizing Mr. And Mrs. Lowe wrong. I think we should be, you know, approaching them about building a little bit of like a racing stable. And he was like, absolutely not. That's not what we do. We don't do that. You know, it's actually a conflict of interest if we're out trying to buy and we're selling. And, you know, quite frankly, a part of their business was if anybody came along like that, like Mr. and Mrs. Lowe within TaylorMade, they, they, you know, part of doing business was they would help other agents get started buying. You know, they would hand them off to another agent that would they would be comfortable with and it was a way of getting business. You know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and horses would come back to sell and stuff like that. So Mark was adamant, you know, like, do not, no, we're not doing that. You know, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And like any hard-headed, young, uh, adventurous person, I went completely behind his back as my boss and approached Mr. Lowe <laughs> with the idea of buying some horses. And basically, I'll never forget, JK, like, I texted him and I said, I want to run something by you um, and see if you have any interest in doing this. And he texted me back and was like, yeah, sure. Call me. So I will never forget. I went out to my car. Uh, I had a Tahoe at the time and put him on speakerphone in my car, literally sitting in my driveway because I wanted to make sure it was quiet and there wasn't any distractions. And I just said to him, I have a plan for buying some horses for you, sending them to Todd Pletcher and trying to win the biggest races that we can. And he just basically said to me, what are you talking about spending like budget wise? And I gave him a number and he was like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, damn, you know? I should have said, said more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, Oh God. Wow. Okay. But you know, they, he, he basically, you know, said to me, we love the game. We we're very loyal to the people we do business with and we're going to continue to do business with them. But you're right. Let's see if we can, you know, drum up some more business, you know, or more success on, on that side of it and let's do it. And literally that's how it got started. Um, and so I, of course I go back into TaylorMade and I have to go sit down in front of Mark at his desk and I'm like, you're going to kill me, but here's what I did. And, you know, he was like, ah, oh, you gotta be kidding me. But then he realized, you know, I think he was able to see that you know, I was very ambitious and I was driven and, and that's what I wanted to do. And he just kind of was like, all right, go ahead, like get it done. Um, and so I went and shopped the two-year-old sales that year. Um, and the first, one of the first horses that I bought for him was a bluegrass cat colt named Mountain Music Man, um, who ended up winning a couple of stakes for us. He won the Awad stakes up in New York, uh, actually on Breeders' Cup Day. Um, the same year as American Pharaoh at uh, Keeneland, he won the award stakes up there. And that was a lot of fun. You know, they, they, they got a nice stakes win uh, in the first crop that I had bought. And we were really excited about him um, going forward. And he won a couple more stakes for us. And he was a good horse. And, you know, that's what got the ball rolling. And then literally that next or that following September is when I bought Magna Moon. And, you know, like they say, the rest is history. And they've. I've, I've become a part of their family and I literally look at them as they're a part of my family. I mean, they're just, it, they're fantastic people. 
when you when you had that conversation with Mark, was that was that when your time at TaylorMade ended, or did did you, no. did you stay for a while? <laughs> no, I was there for a while, like a couple of years after that. Uh, I think two or three years after that. But I mean, at, at first, yeah, he probably wanted to terminate my existence at TaylorMade. He was kind of mad at me for doing it, but he understood. You know, still to this day, he would he would tell you, you know, he knew that I was going to, you know, bust free and and go, you know, get everything done myself. But that was kind of the 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 start of it, so to speak. Um, and we had a lot of fun and I learned everything from him. I, I owe everything to Mark. Uh, he was my mentor for God knows how, however many years we looked at so many horses together and he was really the one that like, you know, this is what good horses have. And this, you need to define your own eye, but this is what you need to do and, or look for and, and race horses. And I owe it all to him really. So. so I definitely want to get into to at some point how you went from being, uh, you know, coaching baseball and being a bank teller to winning Eclipse Awards and grade ones <laughs> on the highest levels and the highest stages. But I think this is too natural of a transition to not ask you. We've talked about one big owner in, in the lows. It's mm-hmm. like very nice, calm, collected people. <laughs> And then, and then on the other side of the equation, you, you have Mike Rapoli. Uh, tell me the difference between the two of them, and then give me the uh, the Mike Rapoli origin story. The difference between the two of them, I mean, you could, first off, I will say this, similar minds in the sense of Mr. Lowe and Mike, as far as business and, you know, ethics and, and all that stuff. They're very similar in that. But as far and now take that out of the equation, you could not have two people probably on more polar ends of the uh, spectrum from Robert Lowe to Mike Rapoli as far as, uh, you know, energy, excitement, uh, like you said, calmness, you know, like whatever you want to say. But yeah, Mike, Mike is, is, you know, for lack of a better, he's the best man. He is, he, he's unbelievable. Um, and that whole team, the whole Rapoli team, again, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I'm, you know, you name it, um, to be a part of it and really to be involved with him is, is, is unbelievable because he's such a character and such a dynamic person. And, uh, he's, he's brilliant. He's, he is, uh, and his passion for the game is just, Un, unmatched um you know he's he's crazy but he's but he's he's great all in the same breath um so yeah he again I'm, I'm very lucky lucky to be involved uh with with you know those two types of like high profile owners um so yeah i, I texted mike to kind of give me some stories and he and, he, and his text back was it's funny. There's not like one story. Really, it's more like a Netflix comedy series. <laughs> said, and then he sent me this like long thing. It's it's always fun. But, uh, you know, I've always wondered, and, and we've never talked about it privately either, but I, I assume that it, you know, that it's something you have to deal with. I would, I would assume that sometimes Vinny and Mike and, and Mike by himself, and then also uh, the Lowe's kind of, I would think they kind of end up on the same horse at times. How do you... How do you navigate that with with them? They seem like they obviously are both supportive of you working with the other one, but how do you yep, navigate yep. that situation? You know, like what it boils down to at the bottom, the bottom line is this, is like they're both 
willing to like bend on both sides, right? Like if I find a horse that I absolutely love and I, and I, and in, and in fairness, like I tell both groups about the, the horse, you know, um, it, what it comes down to is like, you know, what we think the horse is going to bring, you know? It, and so like, if Mike says, yeah, I really like that horse. And he, he checks all the boxes with Ed and Jim, Danielle and the team and Todd and like the whole team. And, but then I say to him, Mike, he's going to, you know, I think the horse is uh, 750 to a million, you know, that's not really Mike's, Mike's not going to go after that horse, like on his own. Now, if Minnie is in uh, on it too, then it's a different story, but you know, that's not really going to be Mike's, Mike's comfort level is much lower than, lower than that because he's buying so many, you know? So when I can go back to Mr. and Mrs. Lowe and say to them, you know, I really love this horse and this is the number if they sign off on it, because there's boxes the horses have to check with them too. I mean, they're not hands-off owners. Like, you know, Mrs. Lowe, I've, I've said this before. I would put, you know, you're the best handicapper I, that I know. I'm, you're one, she's she's one A. I mean, you know, and they're like racing historians when it comes to pedigrees and they remember stuff and, and they're very good about stuff. So when it checks the boxes for them and I give them that price, they kind of say, yeah, that sounds good. Like, let's go on. And then I can go back to Mike and tell Mike, this is the story, you know, or this is the scenario Mr. and Mrs. Lowe are going to make a run at this horse. Um, and he, and I'm, I'm telling you, 10 out of 10 times, he says, that's great. Like, good luck. Best of luck. You know, have at it. Go, you know, go get them type thing. And vice versa. You know, I can tell Mr. Lowe, you know, I really like this horse, but Mike's Mike's and the team are very involved in it and he'll just say to me sounds great you know best of luck to Mike and and let's go on now what happened last September is we had one horse that I did appraise for a lot of money and the whole team did you know Mike's side and them and we ended up partnering on the horse and that <clears throat> that was literally the first partnership that Mr. and Mrs. Lowe have like ever done um so you know, when, when Mike's involved, you know, it could either be the greatest thing that's ever happened or it could crash and burn, uh, you know, like there's no telling what's going to happen, but he's so lucky that everything he touches turns to gold that we're hopeful that we bought the next champion, you know? So, yeah, but I, you know, it's funny, like talking to him, <clears throat> you know, and I've gotten to become friendly with him and, 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 and you know how it is, you're going to laugh, but when you, when you become friendly with Mike, when you see him, you 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 better not have anywhere to go. Yep. Because once he starts talking to you, he gets very engaged, and like the conversation could literally go on for an hour. Uh, after Breeders' Cup, um, after he had a day that I'm sure he wasn't happy about when Ness got beat, he, he I saw him in the lobby at the hotel, and I was my you know my fiance and my family and my friends are all at Jeff Ruby, and I was an hour and a half late to dinner because Mike and I started talking. <laughs> I couldn't. And it's not that I wanted to walk away, but I, you, you can't because he's so engaging and he's so, uh, it, it, and he's not talking at you. He talks with you. Yep. And like, it, yep. it's, 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 it's actually to be I mean, if I'm being honest, it's kind of a stressful conversation because he's asking you questions and he's expecting answers, not expecting you to be right, but yep. just expecting you to share your opinion, how you feel. Who do you think are the five best people on TV? Oh, well, I don't. Well, who do you, and it's like I don't. Well, I don't. You know, it's like you don't have time to try to be politically correct. You have to just answer the question. I don't know. Yep. This person sucks. That person's awesome. Like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we just kind of got stuck in a conversation with him. So 
I, 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 you know, it's just funny thinking when you call, I, I can just imagine it just, you know, getting to meet Mr. Lowe and like seeing his demeanor. It's like, uh, it's just completely different phone calls. You, like, yeah. take off. you gotta put on a completely different hat. I can only imagine. If I want to calm down, I, I, after I speak to Mike, I call Mr. Lowe. And if I'm ever looking for a jolt of energy, uh, I call Mike. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. He, I tell people now, now what Mike will remind you of is that he's technically Dr. Mike Rapoli because he got an honorary degree from St. John's and that's because he donated so much money to them. They gave him an honorary doctrine. So every once in a while, he will remind you he is a doctor and that you need to refer to him as Dr. Rapoli. But that being said, he is, and I don't know if this is what is better. I mean, but he is the most street smart, again, lack of a better term, street smart, street savvy person I've ever met. I mean, he he can meet people, have a conversation with them and know if they if they're real or not. You know, he can see scenarios and tell you exactly how they're going to play play out. Um, he's he's the ultimate team guy. He wants, you know, everybody to be involved. He you know, some of his best horses, he'll jokingly tell you that he bought were because a breeze rider at the sale that he was talking to told him that that was the best horse that he had ever been on. So he went and bought those horses and they turned out to be good horses, you know, things like that. He's, he's crazy, but he's, he's got a sixth sense for success, obviously with all the businesses that he's been involved in. And um, I, I could only imagine how Coca-Cola and Pepsi and, and everybody, what they think about him, because after dealing with him on multi-billion dollar uh, negotiations, I'm sure they wanted to just, go jump off a bridge. Um, yeah. but it's so, funny though, like, you, you know, the, the point I was, I was going to make earlier and I, I, I kind of got sidetracked is you can see why he's successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can meet him and not know anything about him. And then when you walk away, say, wow, that was one of the most interesting men. And, in, you know, like I've ever met in my life and he's so smart and anyone and, you know, he, but that's him, you know, he comes off. If I'm being honest, he comes off as a brash New Yorker. Um, you know, does he, he doesn't mix well with the Kentucky blue blood hard boots around here, you know, if I'm being honest, but that, but until they know him, you know, that's right. Then they get to know him and they say, Oh my God, this guy is, he's unbelievable. I mean, he's never really, he's passionate. You know, he cares a lot about his people. When you're part of the team, you're part of the team for life. Um, you know, he, all he, all he wants is for you to work hard and be honest. And, and that's yeah. all you can ask for out of somebody and they'll treat you fair, you know, whenever you can do that. And that's how he is. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't vibe well with all of them is because I, you know, you and I have had conversations about this and, and, and I hate, I hate, uh, well, this is, we do it like this because that's how we've always done it. Like I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. and, I, and I also yeah. hate, I also hate, Oh, well, we can't do that because we don't have the technology to do it. Or we can't do it because that's not how things are set up. I hate it. I don't like it. It drives me insane. Yep. I have never met or talked to anyone who hates it more than Mike does. Mike oh. despises the conversations <laughs> I've had with him. He almost gets aggressive with you for telling him how they are thinking about it. I'm like, well, Mike, that's just that it just that's not going to work because the technology's not there. He's like, we yeah, the technology's exactly. not there. Then we'll make the technology. That's ridiculous. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, and, yeah. and, and he just doesn't. So I think that the blue bloods that you mentioned, who are we all know, are stuck in their ways, and this is how we've always done it. So this is how we're going to do it. And well, that's not how it's done. You got to wear a jacket, and you got to wear a jacket into the winter circle because that's the way we've always done it. 
that yep. vibe doesn't doesn't work with Mike when I've yep. the, the conversation I've had with him. So exactly. I mean, you're you you hit the nail on the head there. Like the excuse or the 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 reasoning behind when he questions something, if you just say, Well, that's how everybody's done it for years, he'll blow that, you know, he'll blow that out of the water. I mean, because he just that that's not going to be that's not a suitable answer for like growth for him or his forward thinking or you know how we can change and get better i mean he always says that to us the whole team i mean hell he tells todd he could he could get better you know what i mean like that but that's how he is uh he he you know every day you got to wake up and strive for greatness i mean one of his close friends business associates uh allies you know was kobe bryant and that that kind of like mamba mentality of of getting every you know attacking every day and 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 like being the best you can and being a good person and you know a good businessman and being fair that's him that's mike to a t like he's he's not gonna have a day where he just takes a day off and and rests on his laurels like success comes because you work your ass off for it. It's not given to you, you know, and that's, that's, and you better, you better think that way if you're going to be a part of the team or around him or involved with him, because that's how it's going to be, you know? Um, and he's obviously his success rate um, speaks to, it is successful. You know, it's a successful way of thinking. He enjoyed my joke about, uh, about chocolate gelato being named after me since, the obvious part of that equation, but also that I was marrying an Italian, an Italian woman. So he, he, thought, he thought that was good. Um, I think that actually the name came because like Joya was eating, like they had to name her, uh, like, you know, Danielle and, and Jim were like all over Mike about getting a name for that Philly. And like Joya was eating chocolate gelato or something, you know, it's like something like that. He was like, just name her that, you know, and boom, <laughs> she ends up being a grade one winner. Named chocolate gelato so, works perfectly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, so we can go. I, I think we'll go your origin story. I mean, I think it's funny, like how we met. It was just it's 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 it's. We'll go with our, let's go with our origin story because it's a little bit bromancy, kind of funny. <laughs> uh, it, there's like a, it's like it's kind of a little blind dateish. So, so I'll start. So, because so I became friendly with Michael McCarthy because Jake Ballas had a horse with him out at Del Mar, and Jake and I went out for the weekend. And we just spent a bunch of time at the barn with Michael and, and, and people that don't know Michael and, 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 and obviously we'll talk about him as well. He is not nearly as dry and, and impersonable as he comes across as he's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, he's actually that dry, but he's hilarious. He's very like thoughtful. He's like always texting to check on Austin and my family. And he's, and he's, he's very engaged when you get him, he's very, very engaged and like super, super loyal. So once I had met him and become friendly with him, we just kind of stayed in contact, you know, texting, talking, whatever, random stuff. And he's very like inquisitive. He like wants to know about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I was at Churchill Downs uh, for that Breeders' Cup, when, when City of Light won, and he had like what? He had like five horses out of 26 that he was training. Yep. I was just kind of stuck at Churchill because I was staying in Lexington, but I was like going to Churchill every day to hang out. But then I was just like kind of stuck there. And so I would just hang out at the barn. And that's when I met you for the first time when, when you were there with, uh, with Michael. And, and, and I didn't have a ride back. I was going to just Uber back to Lexington. You were driving back to Lexington and uh, you invited to, to, to give me a ride. Um, and then so it's like, you know, we had hung out for like a couple of hours and then we spent an hour and a half in the car together. Like I said, kind of blind date where I was asking you about your career. You're asking me about gambling stuff. And, and then 
uh, and then and then like later that day, like we just couldn't get enough of each other. We ended up going to the track together. We went yep. to Keeneland together and uh, and and hung out, and then we've been friends ever since. So that I. I I thought it was uh, it was kind of funny. It did feel like a blind date. You completely bashed uh, another success story uh, in my career uh, on that drive home, if you remember correctly. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, totally took the air out of out of the balloon uh, for me, um, you know. But no, I, I forgave. I was quick to forgive uh, and forget. Uh, you were a hundred percent correct, actually, in your analysis. I didn't want to believe it at the time, but you were right. And, uh, you know, then a, a budding friendship turned into, you know, a lifelong, you know, close friendship type thing. Oh, my that. God. So, I forgot about that. That's the worst, man. But you're just like talking. And you're like, you're, I, I think the conversation was like, what's your big opinion? And I said, oh, I'm completely against Serengeti Empress. Yeah. And and because uh, you were you bred the horse, right? Correct. Well, yeah. So um, bought the mare for five thousand dollars or whatever it was. Uh, ended up breeding her on a share that was owned between some like family at the time. Um, and we bred her and uh, we bred the mare and uh, we tried to sell her carrying her, uh, didn't work, ended up buying her back, brought her back, got a f- alternation filly out of this mare, uh, Havisham, and, uh, and then we sold the package, the mare back in full to alternation because we bred her back on our share. And the filly that ended up being Serengeti Empress back that following November. Um, and then the rest is history. She was bought as a foal from us and then resold as a yearling. And Tom Amos uh, ended up getting his hands on her and went in the Kentucky Oaks with her. Um, and she was an incredible filly. But, yeah, it was like it was from my my brain that that, that whole thing was hatched. Uh, and then I get in the car and and I'm like, yeah, I'm picking your brain, you know, trying to say, like, and you just totally rake her across the coals. She's got no <laughs> shot, you know. Type of, and you just kind of looked at me, and I was like, "Well, I bred her." And you're like, "Oh, sh-. You're yeah. Like, yeah, sorry, man. We're not even out of we're not even out of Louisville yet. I got another exactly. hour." Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to pull over and just drop you off on the side of I seventy five <laughs> after that, but I left it alone. So uh, uh, that horse got me in a lot of trouble, man. <laughs> There's that one, and then and then obviously, like I got I got hooked into that. So then. So that was before the the uh, the juvenile fillies when she was beaten mm-hmm. by right. uh, that that Jay, Chapman filly, Jaywalk, 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 yeah, Jaywalk, yeah. And um, and so I, I played doubles in I think it was into I think it was into newspaper of record. So that like worked out. I had a good BCBC until I tried to beat um uh what's that horse's name for for Sadler that won that um oh accelerate yeah accelerate yeah so. That was so I was right then, and then you know, I kind of just you know, because I was right then, I guess I just kind of fell in love with this idea that she wasn't that good. So she beat me on Oaks Day when I was riding with 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 Burnick back to Lexington. The, the drive back to Lexington has cost me a lot. Driving back to Lexington, <laughs> I made the I made the bet after you know, I don't care, I'll say it on the show. Like, I was, I mean, I was it was an Oaks Day, so I'd had to drink like like 17 lilies, I was probably drunk and. Burnick was talking about how because he had better and I said she'll never win another grade one and he said how much do you want to bet and I don't know why I guess I I guess I was I don't know why I was feeling myself I was like I made a num I made a dollar amount wager then was significantly more than any money I had any access to at that time like I was like yeah whatever she'll never win another grade one 
And then I and then I became friends with Tom Amos, so I had to secretly root him down every time she ran. <laughs> and then she finally won at Sarah. She finally won her grade one at Saratoga, that really impressive one where she where she was down on the rail in that speed duel. Um, yep. And I and it's funny because that was it was Travers Day, and so we had the Big Fox show on Travers. And so, you know, it's a little bit more of a nerve wracking day for the big Fox show, just because it's, you know, it's on network television. It's not like it's just on FS2 or FS1. There's a little bit more pressure from the, from the staff and all the people that are involved. And so, you know, you're trying to get your mind right. You know, you, you got to be tight with your, your talking points. You can't really ramble on. You got to be tight because it's just a tighter show. So I'm already a little bit nervous and I'm betting that day and I get beat by her in a pick six and I lose the bet to Burnick. And I just start pouring sweat because that's what happens when I lose that sweat. <laughs> pouring sweat, but I, but I, I got myself together and I went to the winner's circle to congratulate Tom because I, you know, I, I, I want, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love Tom, and, and so what a cool horse she was. But yes, I, I did absolutely put my foot in my mouth there. Yeah, um, she, she was, she was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun during that whole time to just kind of root, um, you know. And Dr. Politi was, you know, incredibly nice and, and like extending, you know, he always kept us up to date on her and how she was doing. Amos was, you know, Tom was the same way. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a hell of a ride. I mean, she she was one of those fillies like, you know, you you took pride in what you were doing because, you know, how many all I all I can tell you on the breeding was, you know, alternation was by distorted humor. And I just looked for like a, like an AP Indy lined mare to breed him to. And I ended up seeing this mare, um, Padre Campion was selling her. I think it was on behalf of Godolphin. Um, she was like one of the coals out of the, the Godolphin, you know, broodmare band. And I went up to him and I was like, you know, Padre, what about this mare? And he was like, well, she's got no, no reserve. And I looked at her. She was club footed. She was a cribber. You know, she was everything that, you know, these guys would tell you don't don't lock onto. And I did. And I bought her for, I was either 4,500 or five grand, one of the two and ended up reading her to, to alternation just solely based on that, you know, AP and D line mayor went AP and D line went well with distorted humor. Um, and boom, you know, we ended up breeding a Philly that won the Kentucky Oaks was second in the acorn second in the test. You know, um, she, she won the Azari, she won the ballerina, like, you know, she ran second uh, on Derby Day, or I guess that was yeah. Ended up being the 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 COVID Derby Day um, and the Derby City Distaff, and second uh, in the Philly and Mare Sprint. You know, uh, it was it was a pretty pretty unbelievable ride to be associated with her. Do you still play that game at all, or is a majority of your focus now on on just your main clients and and, and being an agent, or do you still personally, with the information that you've gathered through this career? Do you still kind of play that game buying mares and, and, and pin hooking and things like that? There, there, I do do some breeding, own some mares on my own. You know, I have, I'm lucky enough to, again, be blessed with doing some stallion deals and doing some stuff and having some breeding rights. And I always try to support the horses when, you know, when, you know, you get awarded a breeding right, lifetime breeding right in a horse. I always think, you know, you should, you should do your part and support the horses. So I go out and I buy mares and try to trade and, and do the best I can, um, and make the most money that I can, but, you know, um, skin in the game is a big deal. Like with Mr. Lowe, he, that's his mantra with all of his businesses. And I feel that way. I feel, you know, I have one little racehorse that I own myself. That's going to make a start in New York here. I probably in a couple months or six weeks. And, 
so I got, you know, that, and I've got some little mares, uh, that I own myself, nothing expensive by any means. And, you know, buy and trade and sell. That's, that's a part of, uh, you know, everybody in this business, we all got to try to make money the best we can. Well, you know, the times that we've played pick sixes together usually goes well. So you got to let me know. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you got to let, let me know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the millions that we've made handicapping together is just, uh, it's it's unheard of. I'm surprised the IRS isn't beating our doors down. You know, I didn't know you we could lose that much money personally. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's, tough, uh, it's a because, tough game. It's it a tough is game. a tough game, no matter what side of it you're on. It, it is tough, man. It's tough. We've been live in the, into the sixth leg multiple times and, and gotten, gotten hung out to dry, but Look, it's it's part of excitement. You know, it's different for me. I know that it, on your angle, it's a part of your income. It's it's how you make a living. It's what you got to do. You know, my side, it's I just want to be a part of it and associated. So the little small pieces that I take with you is, is a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, all right. So let's go to your origin story. How, how did you go from the bank teller gig to, <laughs> to buying grade one winners? <laughs> uh, very simple. Um I graduated from the University of Kentucky in 2008 with a degree in economics. Uh, all through school at the University of Kentucky, I coached baseball. I was a big baseball guy my whole life, played um, my whole life, and I got into coaching my freshman year. When I moved to Lexington, I got into coaching my freshman year of college, um, and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life coaching. I made lifelong friends uh, doing that. I was associated with some very, very good teams um, and good people, uh, good kids that we, you know, that we had come through our program. Um, and Lexington baseball is a, is actually a very, very, you know, it's the, the depth pool here in Lexington uh, is very, very strong. It, they play the game at a very high level and there's been a lot of success uh, kids that have come out of Lexington, out of Fayette County and the surrounding counties and gone on and, and made successful careers out of it. Um, so it was a lot of fun to be associated with that. But I was coaching um, all through all through college, graduated, and like I said, in 2008, um, right in the middle of the economic downturn. So, uh, you know, the way th there was no jobs, there were no jobs like it was. It was unbelievable. I don't know if you really remember those, you know, that 2007, 2008. Um, but there were there were just no nobody was hiring. They were laying off, and you know, the housing market had crashed. And here I was, this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, go conquer the world. I just graduated from college, uh, and I've rolled into a job market that's, you know, the unemployment rates were off the charts, and. The economy, every, you know, every day you turned on the TV, all you read about was how the stock market was crashing. And, you know, so I ended up with an economics degree. I ended up a job at uh, Fifth Third Bank as a bank teller. And, man, it was it was awful. It was terrible. Like all along my whole life, I followed horse racing. But like I never looked at it as like a career. Right. I, I just. You know, my whole life growing up as a kid, I I would watch the Derby. I tell everybody, you know, there's there's three times I can guarantee you that Kathy West, my mother, is going to cry. And that's in the post parade of the, the Derby, the, the Preakness and the Belmont. You know, she gets emotional watching it and and uh, she loves it. And I've, my whole life, I just remember watching the Breeders' Cup and following horse racing. You know, Western Kentucky, we're not known for horse racing by any means. And we're four hours away. It's a whole different world. But. 
so I always followed it. So like when I kept, when I got out of college and I was in this just horrible job market, I got this job as a teller, but the guy that I was coaching under at Henry Clay, Herb Hammond, is literally like a father figure to me. Um, you know, my formative years of, of being in college, he was the one that kind of kept me grounded and kept me level and made sure I had a, you know, showed up to work on time and, and everything like that. Um, and he looked out for me. And that's not saying we didn't have a couple of wild times ourselves, but he was like a father figure to me. And he knew that I was unhappy, like, and but he also knew I had a deep love and a deep, you know, I loved, I was, I would bring the racing form into the dugout, like before games and be like handicapping. And that was really right when you could watch things on the phone and, and things like that. And um, I would be doing that all the time. I'd have a racing form in my coaching locker all the time. And finally, one day he just looked at me and he was like, man, you know, you are awful to be around. Like your personality is terrible. Your, your whole, your energy, everything, you know, like kind of your vibe is just awful. And he says, I think, a lot of it has to do with your career and what you're doing. And he sat me down and was like, look at me, man, I'm a high school teacher, but I coach baseball and, and this is what I want to do. And, you know, I make a good living at it. I'm not breaking the bank, but I'm happy, you know? And he was like, I think you need to go find something that you love and get stuck in and, and, and really give it a shot. So he said, you know, I used to coach a kid, that works at a very prominent horse farm and I could give him a call and see if he could, you know, help you out in any sort of way. And that, that kid was Ryan Mahan. Um, I'm sorry, it was Patrick Mahan, Ryan Mahan, who's the head auctioneer at Keeneland and OBS, his son played for coach Hammond at, at Henry Clay. And he called Patrick and he said, you know, I got this kid, yada, 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 gave him the rundown. And Patrick basically told coach Hammond, like, look, you know, we're laying off, farm staff you know we're the sales are dismal um like it's absolutely terrible like you don't want to you know this is an industry that's as down as it could possibly be down um and we're not hiring anybody we're not doing anything but the only thing i can tell you is there's an upcoming sale the january sale and if he wants to give it a shot and come work the january sale for us then we'll we'll put him in a spot to where he can go you know, see if he enjoys it. And Coach Hammond got back to me, and then I actually met with Patrick after a practice. He came over to the facility and and kind of gave me the rundown of what TaylorMade was. And I was like, yeah, man, let's give it a shot. Let's do it. So I went back to the bank, and I actually requested vacation um, and got some vacation days and then went and worked the January sale of 2009. And it was, I believe the worst sale on record. Um, I can distinctly remember being in there at that sale and watching horses go through the ring. And there was like multiple no bids. Um, it was absolutely terrible. The economy was just falling and the horse industry was right there with it. Um, but the second I walked into that barn to be a groom, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like I'd found my calling type thing, you know, and I went back to the bank after the January sale. Oh, it was also, people remember, it was the coldest sale on history or on date because that was the year of the polar vortex that we had in Kentucky. And it was freezing, JK. Like it was, it was awful. I mean, the sales were terrible and the, the, the weather was awful. But 
like I said, I found my calling and uh, I went back to, or when I was at the sale, uh, Frank Taylor came to me and he said, you know, you're a hardworking guy. You gotta, you gotta tell me your story. And I said, well, I graduated from the university of Kentucky and college graduate. And I really love this. And if I could ever get a job at the farm, you know, I'd really, I'd love to do something associated with horses. And he basically said to me, you know, you're a college graduate. I can tell you're driven. We're not hiring, but let me see if we can work something out. And put you on the farm and and that's what he did he came back to me by the end of the sale and was like look we'll give you a shot you know you're gonna have to start out at the bottom and work your way up and so I went back to the bank and I put in my two-week notice and when I did with my manager something I'll never forget he literally looked at me and was like man you don't need to put in a two-week notice like you can just count out your drawer and and get out of here I was like all right (laughs) sounds good and that's what I did I just went back in there counted out my drawer balanced it out and boom out the door I went and it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I went to go, I walked into a, into a 30 stall barren mare barn starting out at the bottom uh, over at TaylorMade and the rest is history. I, I, I literally started, there's nothing in this industry that anybody can say that they've done that I haven't done. I started out at the bottom and just kept my nose to the grindstone and, and made a lot of sacrifices along the way. And here we are. One part of your story that 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 I learned, like I feel like it was this summer, maybe it was last summer, probably this summer. We were sitting at, at dinner at, at, at Salivo with uh, Chad Brown, and <laughs> I had no idea that you worked for Chad for for a, a small period of time. Yeah, yeah. So I always tell people I worked for Chad Brown before Chad Brown became Chad Brown. Um, you know, Chad at that time had like thirty. No, he he would have probably had two barns at at Palm Meadows, Um, you know, like an overflow barn from the main barn. Um, And Duncan Taylor said, if you want to go work on the racetrack, there's there's this, you know, at the time he was calling Chad a kid. There's this kid that's coming up through the ranks. And I think he's going to be very successful one day. And, and, you know, you should go down there and and kind of build a relationship with him and, and, and do it. And that's what I did. I went down to Palm Meadows and lived in lived in one of the assistant dorms uh, down there and worked for Chad. Um, and it was, it would, you know, looking back on it, we had so many good horses that like ended up becoming good horses, like, you know, down the road. But at that time, a lot of them were like maidens and, and maybe had broke their maiden or, you know, something like that. But it was really a, an incredible like learning experience because I think as he was like really growing and like getting success, I was like in there and kind of riding the wave with him. Uh, and it was a blast. I had, I had a lot of fun working for him. You know, you, you, and, and we'll talk a little bit about your relationship, your close relationship with Michael McCarthy and, and also with Todd Pletcher, you know, you know, you, you throw in Baffert and Brad Cox and I think you have the five best trainers in the country, right? I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, if I'm forgetting someone, my bad, but I, I think that you, you take those five guys and I don't, you know, I'm not really sure you need too many other trainers to, 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 to in that conversation. Yep. What were some of the things that maybe that they all had in common or some of the things that you find that they individually do different, um, you know, with between Todd and Mike and, 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 uh, and Chad? Well, I mean, I think number one, care for the horse, you know, like, you know, Todd has people who have worked for him since he opened up the doors, you know, and hung the first TAP shingle. 
um, you know, grooms and hot walkers and foremen and assistants, and you go down the list, office staff. But it, it boils down to like, you know, he his love and care for the horses is, is number one. Um, so success gets driven, you know, off of that. Chad is the exact same way. I mean, Chad would almost even tell you like by fault, he he he'll he's so cautious with horses and making sure that they're competing at a high level that if the slightest little thing goes wrong with them, he'll just stop on them, you know, send them back to the farm and, and figure it out type thing, you know, and that's that's. I, I don't think, you know, it's hard for smaller outfits that are just getting started to, to really like, you know, do something like that, but that's what you got to do. And then Michael is just a, you know, he's a, he's a Todd disciple. I mean, he's, he's cut from the exact same cloth. I mean, he's, he's Todd Pletcher on the West coast, you know? Um, and there's a reason why, like you stated earlier that year at the Breeders' Cup, he had five entrants into the Breeders' Cup. Uh, and one, one of them was city of light, but like it, it, he only, he was, uh, he was training less than 30 horses at that time, you know, and you do that, you do that math, uh, like, you know, the chances of, of having, you know, competing that, that smaller horses and, and having that many horses in our championship weekend of racing, there's a reason behind that, you know? Um, but number one is just care for the horse. And then the second part of that is care for your staff, uh, that, you know, they, like I said, Chad and Todd and Michael all have people that, you know, the second that they hung their first shingle up, they, they stayed, they've been with them and they will stay with them until the, that shingle gets taken down, you know, and uh, they love their staff and they take care of the people around them. And then probably the third part is, 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 you know, relationship with owners. Um, you know, Chad's got his guys, whether it's Peter Brand or Seth Clareman, Todd's got Mike and he's got, uh, you know, Shadwell now and, and, and a lot of, a lot of like, you know, big owners, Vinny and, you know, the lows and you go through the list and Michael would be the same way with, you know, Mr. Warren who owns city of light and a handful of other guys that have sent him some horses. And, you know, he trains horses for one of the guys that he trains for is a guy named Jim Daniel, who's one of the greatest human beings that's ever walked the face of this earth. And that guy was Michael's father-in-law's best friend and unfortunately he Aaron's you know father passed away and Michael's been able to keep that friendship with Mr. Daniel going and through that and he was you know in Eclipse Thoroughbreds you know Aaron was like the first person to literally send Michael a horse and he still has horses with him that again compete at a high level over a number of years and I think those are the three main things it's you know care for the horse number one care for your staff, number two, and care for the, for the owners and look out for the owner's best interest, number three. And those three things will add to, to their recipe for success. So on Todd, Todd, uh, Todd, Todd sent me a couple of good stories to, to, to get you. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, ask him about the second course serving at a Gainesway party that he was took, <laughs> that he mistook for a too small entree. So, <laughs> Anthony Beck, Mr. Beck, uh, every September. Actually, we were talking about this year. I don't think we got him. I think we got booted from the list. We didn't get invited this year. I don't know what the hell happened, but maybe maybe we caused too much of a ruckus over there. Um, yeah, that's that's a pretty funny story. So, Mr. Beck has had every September during book one would have a, an incredible dinner party at at a house that's on the farm that's basically houses a lot of the family artwork and 
I think you know me pretty well by now. I don't. I know zero about artwork. That's just not my cup of tea. But you walk into this place, and it's you can see these paintings and this and these sculptures and everything, and you know they're worth a lot of money, you know. But it's a it's a really neat whole experience. And uh, so we were there and and having dinner, and they brought a you know we're having cocktails, wine, all this stuff. So they they seat us, and and Todd's at the table next to me. And, you know, the first like kind of hors d'oeuvre comes out and it's like this little thing, the size of basically like a quarter. And I'm kind of like, what the hell is this? You know, and I eat it and go on. And I'm like, well, that's all right. So then they bring out what I thought was the entree. And it, it was a piece of salmon that was about the quarter of a size of an iPhone. And I'm like, what in the hell? And I'm a big boy. Like I love if there's one thing I love to do, it's eat. So I dig into my salmon. I'm like, what the hell? This is bullshit. You know, this is what we're going to eat here. This is our Andre. Hell, I'm going to have to hit McDonald's on the way home after this. So we're sitting there. Todd's at the table next to me. And I just leaned over to him. And I said, hey, man, you going to finish all that? And the laugh that he gave was just off the charts. And that's his, that's our like inside joke every once in a while. He'll say to me like, you going to finish all that? You know? <laughs> um, and it was, it was just one of those hysterical, like, I mean, we, we couldn't stop laughing after that. Then they eventually they brought out, I think it was like a big piece of, you know, big steak and potatoes or something. So I was happy. Um, and, uh, but during the time, I mean, he was thinking the same thing too. He was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so we, we had a good laugh about it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Todd, Todd's another one, like like Michael. You said they're cut from the same cloth. Like, you get Todd in, like, the right setting. He is hilarious. He might be one of the funniest people that God's ever put on the face of this earth. And people don't really – you don't really get to see that with him. And I wish more people could or would. He is – he is – he's so bright. He's he's unbelievable. He is hilarious, though. I mean, this, he'll tell some funny stories, too. I mean – He's got some wild, you know, wild, wild stories, you know, with between owners, trainers, jockeys, you know, you name it uh, on the racetrack and then his upbringing and, you know, everything. And his father is, is an incredible human being. You can see why Todd is the way he is, because when you meet JJ, you, he, they're they're, you know, he is his father's son type thing, you know, and uh, his mother is an incredibly nice lady and gracious and She's a lot of fun too, and uh, got to know her a little bit at the Hall of Fame um, when Todd got inducted. And and yeah, so it, he, but he is—you're exactly right. The public doesn't get to see it when he gets in front of the camera. You know, he turns into robot Todd almost, and kind of gives you the bland answers. Uh, uh, you know, everything. But when he's when he's on his own and he's feeling comfortable, man, he he is he's he's so funny. He's a great oh, guy. I'm gonna he's on my he's on my list. I'm gonna get him because I, I feel like I'll really be able to to, to attack you, him. You just wait until I get to tell get to give you the questions to ask him. Oh, I know. Uh, it, I'll, I'll embarrass the hell out of him. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be great with you, with you, McCarthy, um, and then J, you know the JT. The, JT, I'm sure George has some good ones, and then the sneaky one that I'm going to get him with. It's going to be great as Angel. I know Angel's going to have. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Tons of stories. no doubt, no doubt. So the other one was asking if Michael McCarthy's a good sommelier when Jacob is hosting dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about this, Michael. Uh, during the September sale last year, um, I had just moved into my 
new townhouse, like very proud of this townhouse that I bought, you know, brand new kitchen. It's beautiful. I love it. It's an incredible place. So I'm having a dinner party, which would consisted of just pizza and some beers and, and everything at the house. And I have everybody from the Eclipse team come over and Michael is obviously there and Tracy and Todd. Michael stays in my house, uh, which is another story in and of itself. Uh, it's a revolving door between him and Jonathan Thomas at my house of who's going to stay upstairs in the, in the spare bedroom. But Michael was a little overserved um, and was feeling pretty good that night. He had he had had a couple of beers at the sale. Uh, and then he came back to the house and he was drinking some more wine and maybe a couple of cocktails. And he was feeling nine feet tall and bulletproof. So he decided that he was going to open up a bottle of wine um, standing in my kitchen and it was a magnum bottle of wine red wine and it was I mean a big big bottle and he goes to open it and when he opens it and pulls the cork out the bottle somehow slips out of his hand and it hits my tile floor in my kitchen and proceeds to just shoot red wine spray like something, I mean, it hit the ceiling in my house, which I mean, I'm assuming they're 10 foot ceiling. He, he, this wine, the wine splatter, it looked like a murder scene or something. I mean, it was, and I just moved into this place, like literally not even a month before I was in, had been in there for a couple of weeks and he totally paints the walls in red wine and just stands there. I mean, if you know, Michael, this happens and he just like looks at me and he's like, what happened? I'm like, what happened? You just dumped a whole gallon of red wine in my freaking house. Uh, and luckily, Tracy Pletcher and Kelsey Marshall uh, were there uh, to clean everything up for us. And uh, I mean, you know, I was, but still to this day, this is God's honest truth. Like a month ago, my girlfriend, Margaret, was at my house and, and she was pulling something out of the dryer. And she said to me, what is this on the door frame?" And like, Five feet, six feet away from where Michael was staying, standing when he dropped the bottle of wine, there were two red like specks on the door frame. And I said, that's more wine from Michael McCarthy's disaster in my kitchen. Um, I mean, it was <laughs> it was unlike anything you've ever seen before. And somehow like the bottle didn't shatter. And he just literally picked up the bottle and like poured a glass of wine and like looked at me and was like, oops. And then just went back to my living room and like sat down, like, you know, nothing that happened. And here's poor me and Kelsey and Mrs. Pletcher on our hands and knees cleaning up red wine. And yeah, Todd got a big, yeah, and Jonathan and Aaron got a big kick out of that. They loved every second of that, seeing that go down. So he's, he's the best. He's the best. <laughs> He uh, yeah. he he feels the same about you. I, I thought he was going to give me some real gasoline and uh, McCarthy. And when I asked him if, if he had any stories, he just told this nice, sweet story. He said, uh, he said, I don't really have any good stories. I can tell you this, though. I was at the Preakness with Rombauer. Jacob was down the road at Timonium inspecting two-year-olds, going to dinner with a friend when the race was going off. When we hit the wire in front, he said he had to make his way to Pimlico, which is about 30 minutes away to congratulate us. Very cool. Had nobody to really enjoy it with. So getting a, a bear hug uh, from one of the guys, from one of your guys is a nice touch. That's the type of friends we need. Yeah. No, nah, that's the truth. I was, I, quite frankly, I didn't think Ron Bauer had a shot in the Preakness, so I didn't want to stay there all day and watch the races. I mean, 
Um, but and so I left and went to dinner and uh, we had the races on my phone now, obviously. And, you know, kind of like going down the backside, I was like, man, this horse is traveling good. And I knew, I knew Aaron and Stella weren't there with Michael and Michael was going to meet me the next day to go to the sales grounds and go over some two-year-olds at the Timonium sale. And uh, so anyway, so I'm like, this horse is traveling like really good. Oh my God. And then when they kind of turned for home, you saw him make that move. Uh, and then like basically at the quarter pole, I looked at the waiter and I was like, check, please. You know, I, I need to get back to, I need to get back to Pimlico to go celebrate with my boy. And that's what it was. I mean, we literally, I got up from dinner. I ran out and jumped in the car, drove to Pimlico as fast as I could, got there as he was kind of, they were wrapping up the, uh, the whole like NBC interview. He had go up on like, you know, the podium and do all that stuff. And when I got there, we went back to the barn and the first thing, again, I I go back to care for the horse. I mean, Michael just wanted to be with his horse. Like, so we literally like go through all the media blitz and everything and go straight back to the barn and uh, we were there and somehow, some way we found like a lady that was like running a, a food truck, I think. And we, we, we gave her like a hundred bucks and she gave us like six beers and we just sat in the, in the shed row drinking these beers. And, you know, he had the garland of the, you know, the daisies and the black eyed Susans and everything and put it around him. And we took a, like a famous picture together. And, and I mean, we just, and he just kept looking at me like, holy shit. You know, I just won an American classic uh, with this horse. And the owners were there, he and his wife. And, you know, there was a whole like cake cutting ceremony and champagne toast and all that stuff afterwards. And yeah, I mean, it was, just, it was, it was truly amazing to see one of your friends, you know, win, uh, win, win is such a big race. And, you know, like he goes down in history as winning an American classic, you know, with a horse that, he got in as a two-year-old and managed uh, incredibly well and you know onward and upward upward from there but that's not a surprise i'm telling you man like i i've say it, i've said it before and i'll say it again you know i consider michael young you know i don't care what his age is or whatever and and i keep saying he's going to dominate he's going to be todd you know in in 10 years you know he's going to dominate whether he stays on the west coast he's got the string in kentucky uh with justin kern his assistant up there now but that's how it's going to be. I mean, he's that more and more owners are taking notice of how good he is. Um, and he's, he's, when he gets his hands on horses, man, he, he's very talented and he spots them well and they always show up. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about the, the, that moment of feeling like he had to jump in the car to go over there. And, and I, and I, and I, it's different for me from a betting standpoint, but I think one of the things about this game that make it so great are the highs and lows. It's like, you know, you, you have that life experience of that, of that excitement. And then that complete low of getting to the Derby with Magna moon and being yeah. undefeated and doing the walkover and doing the post parade and doing all of those things. And with an undefeated horse and it just gets snatched away from you. And next thing you know, you run 19 and you have 19th and you have that, that feeling in your stomach of just like, complete yeah. disappointment which is the same way of you know getting alive to sixty thousand dollars in a bet yeah. and then uh, you, you've somehow found a way to get an even money shot beat who, who goes on and never loses again type of situation which is what makes those moments of success so special right like where you felt like you had to jump in that car and go and spend that time with with whitey while he was while he was having that high moment that could have yeah. easily ended in sadness right 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that's, it's, it's an incredible game. I mean, I t- like another analogy I use about our business is like, go back and watch the race replay at Dubai Millennium uh, when he won the Dubai World Cup and look at like the reaction that Sheikh Mohammed has. And like, he's literally like a kid, like jumping up and down and like celebrating. Here's a man that has everything that he could ever want in the world. Like, you know, money's not an issue. Nice things are not an issue. You know, taking care of the people around him are not an issue. You know, his family's taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. All he wants is like to win this marquee race, right? And he does with this horse. And he just, it like, it's just overconsuming, you know, with your reactions. And that's what this business does. Like, for some reason, there's just some sort of, it's addicting, you know, Bob Baffert famously once said, there's no, there, there's no rehab for horse racing. Once it gets in your blood, like you can't get it out. I mean, cause that feeling of when that horse turns for home and puts his head in front and it's your horse and, or a horse you're associated with, I mean, something just comes over you that you don't care about anything else in the world. And, and it's, and I'd even say it's probably the same way for you. Like when you're gambling and you've, you've picked out a horse that maybe isn't the favorite and, you know, that horse is coming through the traffic and splitting horses and doing this. And you don't care about anything else in the world. You're, you're locked in on, on that horse. And that's what this business does. It's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's over-consuming. And yeah. So when you can share in on that success and be there for one of your friends and be support supportive, um, you know, it's, it's, it's truly there, you know, like I have good friends. I consider Michael to be one of my best friends. Um, you know, we've, we've been, we've been through a lot and done a lot together and had a lot of laughs and done a lot of wild stuff together. We have a lot of fun. And and so when he was able to do that, the first thing I said to him, when he got off the stage and I gave him a hug, I literally said to him, I thought you had no shot in this race. And he was like, thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, so like, (laughs) that's like, that's why I wasn't here. Um, so anyway, you know, but that's what it is. You know, me, Jonathan Thomas, Aaron Wellman and John Panagot, the five of us kind of have a really we're like really close friends. I mean, we have a big group text we're on and we're constantly texting each other and busting on each other and congratulating each other and, and things like that. And yeah, we're, we're, we're very close and very, and, you know, root for each other. And when one does well, we feel like we all do well, you know? So. So let's, we've got a lot of background. Let's, let's nerd out a little bit. I've, I've always been curious about um, the job that, that, you do and, and that 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 you know Liz Crow and 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 my friend Jake and Maddie and and the, the list goes on of, of of agents, uh bloodstock agents and 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 trying to identify you know a, a good horse. I guess my you could go whichever way you all I kind of ask two questions. You go the way you want to go with it. The first one is is like when you go to the sale with with your clientele, do you are you thinking dirt first and then like kind of the grass thing is a backup plan or are you just looking for an athletic horse that you're hoping it's dirt grass is a backup plan or do you go to sale looking for grass horses and then the second thing is of your kind of checklist of things that you look for like how many of them how many things you don't have to tell me which ones they are how many things do you feel like you would want to like not tell anyone it's kind of your secret trick like gambling like there's some things that like I don't really want to say out loud because I don't want to give away my edge, but there's also certain things I don't give a damn. Like I'll just say it. Cause like, if you don't know it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter anyways. Like you shouldn't even be in the arena. So yep. go wherever you want with this conversation. Um, but I'm just curious about those things. Uh, first off, 
no, I do not go. I mean, I'm one of those agents that can that can definitely tell you. I do not go to the sales looking for a turf horse. Um, I am a tried and true, you know, believer in the system of American racing and and love dirt racing and and you know, quite frankly, that's where the money and and the prestige in our in our industry is. Um, you know, so no, I do I do not go looking for a turf horse. You know, if it ends up becoming a turf horse then it is what it is and you make the most of it and you try to manage them as best as you can. Um, and, and that's what it is, but you know, everybody, I don't care what anybody says, if they buy a horse for a thousand dollars or $5 million, the Kentucky Derby is the number one goal. You know, they want to win that. And last time I checked, there's no turf out on the dirt course at, at Churchill Downs, you know? Um, so it's, you know, like you, you're, you're, sh you're shooting for that goal, that aspiration. And I, I don't try to buy turf horses. Now I have gone overseas and, and gone to like golf in Europe and Tattersalls and um, things like that. And you know, when you go over there, if you're just trying to buy an athlete, yeah, they are going to be a turf horse. So, you know, it, it, if that's understood and that's what you're doing, then that's, you know, that's kind of what you're doing uh, over there. But here in America, we try our best to buy a dirt horse um, as best as we can. The second part of your question you know, that's really interesting because I've never really thought about that. I would say more so there's certain things that I see in horses that I know for a fact, like just won't work. Uh, like, you know, certain kind of confirmation, uh, you know, confirmation qualities, I guess, so to speak of the horse that I just know won't work. And I, and I see, you know, that might be a really good looking horse and he might have X, Y, and Z, but he's got, He's got this one issue that I know for a fact, like, because I've been burned on it. I've seen other people be burned on it. And the horse will go in there and bring a lot of money. And, and it's my opinion that 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 horse won't go on and on and, and do and do what they're supposed to. So I don't really have anything that I like look for that I'm like, oh, yes, the, each one of my good horses that I've ever been associated with have this. It's I would say they don't have certain things, if, if that makes sense. Um, and, and I'm pretty quick to like judge a horse, like when they come walking out of the stall, you know, and they get to me, if I'm going to like it, you know, there's certain, there are certain things that I look for. Um, and, and when they have those things, um, you know, I get pretty excited about them and, and go from there. Do you have any like superstitions, like, like, uh, or, or any like kind of funny biases that you're like, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm sure I could come up with, Oh, I got an example. Like, I, I have a personal bias against like an owner. Like I, I just can't root for their horses. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any weird ones where like they, they kind of catch you off guard or like, you know, you, you know, do you, uh, I don't know, not like a gray horse. Cause obviously you bought Colonel Liam, but like, is there anything that you just kind of quirky? No, about I, know your you, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like, well, first off, I would answer that question. I, I'm a, I'm a baseball player by nature. So, we're all incredibly superstitious. You know, I still put my left sock on first before I put my right sock on. I, you know, I, I put my right leg in, in a pant leg, like before I put my left one in, because whenever I was pitching, I did that. And I always felt like when I did it in that routine, you know, I always pitched well, there's, you know, stupid things like that uh, go into this brain of mine, but yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely, you know, things that, that, I mean, like, you kind of, I, w I would say along the same lines of like, oh, there's like owners that you don't root for. 
yeah, there's some certain stallions out there that I'm like, oh God, I could never buy one of those, you know, um, and for for particular reasons. But I do try to like not even really pay a lot of attention to the pedigree. I try to buy the physical and then, you know, worry about the pedigree later. Um, I always say that's Ed Rosen's job. Uh, it's not my job. So yeah, there, I mean, I would have some, some, they had some superstitions towards certain, I will tell you, there's, there's one particular family that's very prominent in the horse business and I've had zero luck with it. Um, and I, whenever I see it on a, on a catalog page, after I'm looking at a horse, I'm just like, all right, put this thing away. I'm not buying it. You know, like, so yeah, there's, there's that, <clears throat> there's that whole thing, uh, with, with that. Um, and so I do have little kind of quirks about that, uh, I would say. So one of the when I when I worked Timonium sale like doing that video with phasing that I bugged you about to do some interviews yeah, yeah. and stuff one of the, one of the things that was really funny that I that I picked up on were some of like the inner workings of the sales game which I think are hilarious but like do you are you at a point in your career now and I and, and I would imagine that you are so you don't have to feel like you're not being humble do you hide the horses you're pulling out do do you like do you do you kind of maybe go pull out a horse that's a barn over and look at the horse that you really want at the distance and kind of ignore the one that's in front of you. You at that point in your career where you don't really want people to know you're on a horse. I've done that before. Um, you know, like you go to a consignment and if they have, you know, 10 horses, you pull out three of them, but knowing that you're really there to really look at one of them and trying to like stay consistent and how long you like look at them or, how many walks you give them or, you know, whatever. So they don't pick up on like, you know, oh, he's on this horse or he loves it. Or, you know, like somebody used to always say, well, you know, Sheikh Muhammad's like on a horse when he walks up and he, and he rubs and he touches its head or something like that. You know, you're like, oh, whatever. Um, you know, like there's, there's certain tells that I think people have and you got to play it a little close to the chest. Um, I am very like private about like discussing the horses that I do like. I, I, I really don't, like to uh, to like discuss that because I just don't want other people to know uh, who I'm really interested in, um, and I keep that I keep that pretty close to my chest. You know, you can't re reveal all your cards type thing. You know, yeah. So like it, it, for the for the uninitiated, like why I guess like why is that? What's the pro like what's the consequence of expressing your interest in a horse to a consigner? Or I mean, obviously we know what it is with with other other agents because then they might get the idea oh jacob west is on this horse oh, no. yep. i mean you know but what about the consigners i mean it's kind of a dark side of the game to a certain extent but it's all in fair it's all fair because you know you can kind of get caught but is it is it because you're you're nervous to get run up when they know that maybe yeah i mean yeah exactly i would say that's what it is i mean at the end of the day or you don't want them setting a, a very high reserve and making you go spend your whole limit you know on that on that horse um, yeah, I would say that's the number one thing, um, you know, but also like on the flip side of that, like Mike always says to me, like, oh, you know, like he always, he always has me get the reserve, like from people, uh, from the consigners and his whole, like, I always tell Mike, I'm like, why do we do this? Because then we're basically just telling them we're on the horse. And he's like, yeah, but those people don't know what our limit is, like what we would go to. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I can I can totally see that. So he wants to know the reserve on every horse. And it, and it is true. Like, 
there's sometimes they give us the reserve and Mike just says to him, okay, we're, we're not bidding on that horse. Like move on to the next one. So it saves you a little bit of time, especially in like a sale, like September where it's like, go, go, go. And also like you have an idea of like, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what they think of the horse too, you know? Um, and we've had horses that we were willing to give fortunes for, right. You know, and the reserves, 49,000 and we buy the horse for 150 or a hundred or something and vice versa. We, you know, I can think of a couple of different instances this September where, okay, we think this horse is worth two, worth 250 and 750,000 later we're signing the ticket, you know? So it's, it's, it's an ever moving game uh, with us and, and, and with a lot of people in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's a little bit of a tell, but at the end of the day, like Mike says, they don't know what we're willing to give for the horse. So, you know, is it, uh, is it socially acceptable or is it like asking a woman her age? Like, are you allowed, like, are you allowed to ask? Is it like, or is it like kind of weird when you do it? No, you're allowed to ask. And I mean, Mike's whole thing is like, you know, they better tell us the truth because if they lied to us, that's my, you know, they, again, I think it's just that Mike's Italian heritage and, and kind of that mindset and, and it should be for everybody, but I'm just saying, you know, for him in particular, if he catches you lying, you're dead. You know, like that's just how he is. You know, he's honest with everybody and doesn't skirt around any issues. He's, he's, he's brutally honest in some cases. Uh, and, and in these instances, he wants you to be honest. Um, and so like, you know, there, nobody's really, do they probably tell us the total truth? No. <laughs> you know, like if the reserves, you know, a hundred, they probably tell us that the reserve's 79 or something like that. You know what I mean? So the, you, you'll bid in there and know that they got you if it, once it goes past 80, you know, but they're, you know, they're, they're not, they're not, they're looking out for themselves just like Mike is looking out for himself. So it kind of makes sense to be fair. Like you, I feel like it probably allows you and the team to have a better plan. Like, yeah, hundred percent. You don't want to go in thinking you're going to get hip one thirty. And your, your whole plan is around, we're going to try to get hip 130. And then like hip 130 was never going to be a possibility based on your value that you thought and so on. So you just go ahead and eliminate that from the equation. You can yep. now focus on 148 and 149. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And so, but, uh, the, yeah, it's totally things like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it, that's part of the, the puzzle too. Um, so. And I would guess that Mr. Lowe's on the other side of that equation. He doesn't want, totally. he doesn't ask that question. He doesn't want people does, to know he's does, on the horse. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't want, you know, we don't tell people, we don't go ask, we don't, you know, we don't inquire about anything with the horse. Like, you know, we've done our homework and we have our limit to go buy a horse and, and what, what the budget is. He gives me the budget. You know, early on, he used to be on the phone with me uh, with certain ones, uh, you know, but now it's just kind of like, hey, you know, go do your thing and let me know if we get it, you know, type thing. And, um, but no, he's the exact opposite, you know, and, and we've walked away from horses, you know, for certain reasons I have, and, and I'll call him and text him, Hey, we're, we're going to pass on this horse, you know, for X, Y, and Z. And he'll, and he'll just say, okay, sounds good. You know, on to the next one. Yeah. So that was another, that was another thing I was going to ask you is like, the, I always thought, I thought that was kind of interesting too. Like the, 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 who's, who am I bidding against game? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you? Oh, Mike always wants to know that. Mike always wants who we've been against, who we've been against. You know, uh, it's and I, again, I, yeah. You, there's certain, you know, whether you know me and Donato, we lock horns a lot on horses. You know, um, and so like, 
yeah, there's some certain level of confidence where you feel good about what you're doing. And when you have a judge like him going up against you, yeah, he believes in the horse too. You know, there, we, we there's that. And there's certain other agents, Mike Ryan, Liz, you know, like where you feel good when you know you're going up against them. But there really is no arena like, you know, the sales arena when you're sitting in the pavilion and that guy's across across the way from you um, and you see him bidding. I always say, always say, one of the biggest mistakes we make in America is allowing out like out, out back bidding because when you're sitting in that, especially if your principal is with you and you're sitting in that, in that sales arena and like in that auditorium and you can see the guy across from you that you're bidding against. I don't care what anybody says, man. It, 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 it adds another like little jolt of ego that goes through some guy's brains and they want to go at it. You know what I mean? So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see that. <clears throat> do you, do you, do you hide, do you, because every time I've seen you bid a lot, you, you, you get, because I kind of know you, I can kind of, I can sometimes tell, but I can sometimes not tell because you're usually on your phone a lot anyways, right? When you're in yeah. the sale, talking to people, whatever. And Man, I'm six, five, 300 pounds. I'm not hiding from anybody. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like it's not going to work for me to go hide in a corner, kneel down so other people can't see it. That doesn't work for me. Yeah, you know? And again, I go back to that same mindset. Like that guy across from me does, has no idea what my budget is, you know, and, and I, that goes back to, you know, being private about what you're doing, you know, um, and how much you're willing to go on a horse and not, not letting other people know, but, yeah, man, there's no hiding for me. I can't, <laughs> I can't do all that. I laugh at those guys that, you know, there's certain agents around that do that stuff. And I just kind of laugh at them and chuckle, you know, um, but that's what they want to do. And some guys are superstitious also. They stand in certain spots. Um, so, you know, if you're on a horse and you're walking up to go bid on them and you look in certain spots around, you know, you'll see uh, other guys standing in their spots and you just say, all right, well, he's on that horse. Or, you know, we're probably on the same horse and, that's who we're going to have to go up against. It's funny. I saw, I saw a guy one time, like turn his back to the ring. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like he was like, like he, so like, he's like really acting like he's not paying attention and he was bidding yeah. with his back there. I, I thought that was, uh, was funny. And I've, and I've seen Donato, like I've talked to Donato. He, I think he tries to hide a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, I mean, he, he definitely does, but again, it's no secret where Donato bids from a lot, a lot of times, you know, now with like online bidding, or over the phone bidding at certain, you know, with certain sales companies, it's a little bit different, you know, because people can hide. But again, when you're getting to a certain level on certain, on particular horses, like Colts that have good stallion pedigrees and are good athletes, you have a pretty good idea, like who you're going to be bidding against when you walk in there. So whether somebody's bidding over the phone or bidding online or doing whatever, you, you have a pretty good idea of who you're going up against and, and, we try to be very good at putting a value on the horses before they walk into the ring and sticking to that value. Like I said earlier, sometimes that works and other times it really doesn't. Is that a feel thing or is that more of an equation thing? <laughs> I mean, with Mike, you have no idea. Um, <laughs> but he's, I always say with Mike, there's only one time specifically that I can think of right now where like we just totally went over the budget, like just, and it was solely like ego driven. Uh, we were bidding up against another another like person, and and Mike was like, "Screw this! We're not going to let them buy this horse." Like, go, you know, just basically told me like, as long as that guy, we can see that guy bidding across us. Every time he bids, you bid, 
And when the dust settled and the ticket was being walked out, you know, he kind of looked at me like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> like we just gave a lot of money for that horse. But he always has a rhyme, uh, you know, like a reason to his rhyme type thing. You know, he, he's pretty good about all that. So um, he stays very disciplined and doesn't chase. Um, and, and, and we stay to it, you know, stick to it pretty good. The lows are the exact same way. Um, when they get locked on, it's no secret. We spend a lot of money on horses when they get locked on, they're, they're on. But like I said, we've walked away from plenty of horses or been the underbidder or done whatever, um, and not gotten horses. As we kind of, kind of wind this down, I know you're at the sale now, so you got to go find some horses. Mm-hmm. We, if, if the, we had one that you had one that, that, uh, vet scratch, we were going to have you bid on the phone, which would have been hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would have been a lot of fun. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he didn't pass the bet. What? So there's, there's obviously the, the, the couple of probably big races that are probably high on your list of races you'd like to win. So you can obviously touch on those, but what's that kind of like sneaky under the radar race that you've never won? that that might surprise people that you really would like to win the test the test the test is a race that i think is one of the most fun races to watch it's demanding of the horses of the fillies that run in there it is a a race that i i have the like utmost respect for like the Phillies that compete in it and run in it. And if you go back through history and, and look at like pedigrees and you look at Phillies that ran in the test and especially even test winners, like they always go on to be really good broodmares. Like they, 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 it, and it's uh, just a tribute to, you know, at Saratoga going that distance and, and the one turn and having to carry your speed, you know, you got to be talented to do that. But the test is is a race that I have a lot, a lot of respect for and would love, love to find a like a horse to win that race. And then money's gold might be that one. Just so you're just so you're aware. I'm hopeful. <laughs> so. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's yes. what I'm hopeful for. That's yeah. 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 For. That was uh, that was pretty impressive. Now, r- remind me, just that was the one. That won at Monmouth, right? First yeah, out, yeah. and then got and then got hurt. Yep, yep. And she ran a 104 by or whatever it was. Uh, first time out, two year old up there. Um, and then she had like a a weird thing with a foot um, that we just had to stop on her and, and give her time. And again, I just I keep saying it. I sound like a broken record with Mister and Mrs. Lowe. They're they're the most patient people in the game. And you know, here was a filly that just showed a ton of ability and. And, you know, she does what she does. She draws off and wins by 14 lengths in her maiden start at, at Monmouth. And, you know, that this, you know, talking about the highs, uh, like you feel like you're on top of the world and you have this incredibly talented filly, you know, she's going to go to the Schuylerville and then, you know, all this stuff. And we, we start, you know, you circle the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly race and start working backwards. Here's all the fun races we can run in. And, and then it was like, you get that phone call from Todd like two days later. And he's like, ah, or, you know, I always tell people, if you ever get a text early in the morning from Todd that says, call me at your earliest convenience, that's not a good text to get. <laughs> that is, you, you do not want to make that phone call um, because there's never, he's never saying that to check and see how your day was going. Uh, he's he's, he's, he's going to report some bad news to you. So, um, you know, once once we got that, we just knew that we there was something going on, and we and again the decision was just made uh, to um, 
to to stop on her and now she's come back and and uh, here we are so the the plan obviously in Todd's hands but I'm assuming that you have some insight what do you think you're gonna what do you think you're gonna try to do the humana distaff type of route yeah it would be something oh, she's like not that. gonna be a distaff the eight bells is what I meant to say yeah the eight bells yeah I knew what you meant um it, you know, I would say, you know, Todd would, you know, it's either this, that or the Devona Dale. It's the, the, I'm sorry, it's the any limit stakes or like the Devona Dale. I think he would be leaning towards the any limit stakes, but he's not going to rule that out, um, you know, in the short term. Again, the long term, like, oh, my God, goal would be the test. Um, love to win that race. The Lowe's actually won the test uh, like however many years ago. Uh, with a filly of theirs and her name is Capote Bell. Uh, and that was their first grade one that they had ever won. I think, I think if I remember correctly, that might've been Johnny's first grade one that he ever won. Maybe. I, I, I don't know that off the top of my head, but they have a history with that race and Capote Bell's gone on to, again, she's gone on to be a, a great producer and it's a pedigree that's really filled in over the last couple of years, but it's a testament to, to her winning that. And I know the Lowe's would love to love to get back and win and win that race. And, and the other, the other big horse we should probably talk about, cause it is derby season uh, Forte. What's, yes, sir. what's the plan there? Uh, he will go to the fountain of youth um, and then hopefully that goes well. And, you know, Florida, Florida Derby, you know, as a prep for the Florida Derby and then, and then go from there. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea and the plan with him. The Kentucky Derby needs Mike Rapoli in it. Oh, Jesus. I mean, he's been in it however many times. I, I, I can't off the top of my head tell you what the best the best finish he's ever had was. Um, but, yeah, he, could you even imagine him on NBC? Uh, like, God, <laughs> Lord. Uh, he, would, he, he would draw a lot of interest to the game. You can, you can bet that. And you can guarantee – that if he did win the Kentucky Derby that night, we would be drinking the best red wine that God's ever put on the face of this earth and having a lot of fun while doing it. Cause that's what Mike's all about, you know, um, is, is including others and being a good partner and, and having fun. <coughs> Jacob, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, this is a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of fun stories, a lot of insight. And uh, it's, it's, it's always a, uh, it's fun for me because you know, I, I have friends, I have some friends that are trainers, I have friends that are agents. It, it gives me things to root for that I don't have to necessarily wager on. Um, yep. and, and that always makes it makes it a ton of fun. No, I appreciate you having me on. And I love everything you do for the game. And man, you're, you've, you've done an incredible job building everything up for yourself and your career. You're getting ready to make that jump with, with G and go get, go get married and excited for you with that. And, um, you know, happy for our friendship and, and blessed to be, you know, a part of everything. So, yeah, man, you. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spend some more time. You were, you were in and out this summer. Yeah. And, I mean, it was up and up and back so many times up there. And maybe this year I will go back to getting a house up there and staying for the meet type of thing. Um, because God, Saratoga, it's just so much fun. It's such an incredible place and, and sale time and, and just the racing and everything is just a blast. So, yeah, I, I might have to do that again this year. Well, you bought so many damn horses this year. You might not have a choice. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, you know, I kept reminding Mike when we were buying all these horses this September that, you know, they don't write this many maidens in, in, in the books. Um, and he just kept saying, don't worry about it. We'll have multiple 
multiples in, in each maiden race. We'll, we'll be guaranteed to win all of them. So, yeah, the one, the one A and the one X. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I don't. I think there's a three horse limit per owner uh, in each in each race, and we'll we will fulfill that duty uh, for for the New York Racing Racing uh, Commissioner up there this summer. <laughs> All right, Jacob. I appreciate the time, man. We'll talk right. soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Okay, Have a good care. one. See you. I want to thank Jacob West for taking the time. Um, apparently, he was hiding out in a conference room at uh, at the sale, and and I thought about that. It's kind of funny. I'm sure he goes and asks uh, the powers that be at these sales for a conference room as much money as he spends. I'm sure they they get him a conference room and make sure if he needs if he if he needs any water. Or, coffee or anything like that wish we could have seen him bid that would have been fun but uh like he said the the horse that he was interested in uh didn't vet so that would have been interesting and plus i have it would have been funny because i have seen jacob when he bids he's always on the phone so it was fun to talk to him about that a lot of insight uh fun to hear the 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 perspective of of his two owners his big owners uh mr and mrs Lowe and 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 mike rapoli and and the, the differences in in those two and uh, Magna Moon and uh, just some of the big horses that he's been involved with. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's fun to hear that side of it. it. It's one of the sides of the game that, you know, I probably know the least about just because most of what I do is on the betting and the racing side of it, that kind of ownership breeding side, such a big part and, and, and such a, a lot of fun to, to kind of dive into. Um, I won't keep you long. I already kind of wore you out at the beginning about subscribing. Make sure you do that. Subscribe, retweet, like, share, comment. Let me know who else you want us to have on the show um, here this year in, in JK Plus One. I want to thank our friends at Guitar Racing again. Uh, really looking forward to, um, to, to what they have coming in the coming months in, in the U.S. You know, obviously they're extremely busy overseas, but uh, always popping up in big spots here in the United States as well. Um, this is kind of that time where I randomly start thanking people. Thanks to PTF, uh, Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion Drew, uh, which, you know, I've only been second. I swear I think second twice is equal to winning a championship. I don't, I'm just kidding. It's not. But maybe Drew would give me a, uh, a nod there and say that it was. I want to thank everyone else on the network. Matt Bernier, Spencer. Um, I always do this off the dome to see if I can forget anyone. Uh, Maggie, Acacia, um, Billy, Michelle, um, all the behind the scenes people, DJ unstable helps me post these shows and edit them as well. So, uh, want to thank him as well. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen and we will be back next week. And I don't know who we're going to have, but I guess I should try to start figuring that out. Talk next week. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you'd be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk.